Yeah. Hi guys and welcome back to the podcast. It's episode seven now. Uh, hope you've had a good week. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Hope you're having a nice time at home, not getting too stressed, uh, not having too many manic uh, Waitrose trips like I know my man Sam has had. Uh, I'm joined by Matt and Sam today and a very special guest, but I'll get to him in a bit. Uh, how are you guys doing, uh, Sam and Matt? You alright? Hello? <laughs> Sam. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, no, I'm good, yeah. Um, I'm back working full-time at the moment, so I'm keeping sure. busy doing doing that. Is it um, essential? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's essential. But other than that, just riding. Um, I don't know, life's pretty normal at the moment for me, to be honest. The first few weeks of the whole thing was a bit bizarre but now I'm kind of back in back in my normal swing so I'm all I'm all good nice how are you, how you doing Matt yeah I'm all right um it's pretty quiet on my line of work so there's not really a lot going on um but just riding a lot and I've got a road bike now so looking forward to getting out oh. and uh doing some miles on that you've come over to the to the dark side yeah I thought it was about time I had some breaks so <laughs> got some gears. There you go. So um yeah, today uh I want to introduce our, our special guest. Um it's a gentleman called David Trimble. Um and you'd know David from um Red Hook Creek, but also Trimble events. Um and yeah, welcome David. It's it's fantastic to have you on and um great to see that you've been out smashing it on your uh, mountain bike. Yeah, good to hear from you guys. Yeah, so um, you were saying earlier uh, that you're out, uh, you're not back in New York because, uh, well, you're not a native New Yorker, are you? Not a native New Yorker, but I've lived there, you know, 12, 13 years now, so I might as well be at this point. But yeah, not not stuck in New York right now. It's pretty grim there at the moment, so I'm actually uh, staying, in, yeah, staying in Pennsylvania with... Uh, my friends Casey and Gabe Lloyd. It's really nice here, able to enjoy enjoy some fresh air and get out on rides and hikes, and not just be confined to a tiny apartment. So yeah, we're very very thankful that we have uh, this escape. Yeah, for sure. I think um, it's yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's been tricky for us in London. Like uh, things have been kind of back to normal, and like well, kind of back to normal in the last couple of weeks because everybody's had enough of this lockdown and things have got a bit crazy here. Yeah, I was actually in London when it all started getting crazy and barely escaped in the middle of all the travel chaos back to the US. Saw how it was hap- what was happening there and then also what, you know, what was happening in, in New York. Yeah, you came, you were here for the Manchester six-day riot that got cancelled. Yes, yes, I was. I was in London for few weeks before the Manchester six day and then, then the, the race didn't happen. And then it was a mad, mad panic to try to get home before everything got totally shut down. Yeah. Well, you got home, so you did well. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we're, we're touching on the six day stuff, um, later on, but David, could you tell us a little bit about your, your, you know, your childhood and your background and just a bit about yourself really? Yeah, so I am one of eight kids. 
and so I have lots of uh, lots of siblings, four boys and four girls. I was born in Alaska, uh, and then kind of lived all over U.S. for various reasons. Lived in Alaska, Boston, Arkansas, Texas, and New York. Um, growing up, my dad actually, my dad and my uncle were were frame builders. They built some of the first ever carbon uh, composite monocoque frames. And so I was always around bikes growing up, but I actually didn't ride bikes until I was older. I was, uh, I was more interested in motorsports and I raced go-karts. I, I even got to the point where I was racing kind of semi-professionally. Oh, sweet. Uh, and then I became actually became a, a mechanic on race cars once my uh, driving career ended and I worked, I worked on the pit crew of uh, IndyCar and, and various Formula car series. And then when I, whenever I had actually stopped racing go-karts, I was just, I just loved racing so much and I was very competitive. I started racing mountain bikes just because I, I needed to race something. So it wasn't, wasn't because I was interested in bikes or anything. I just wanted the, the competition. A quick summary of how I got involved in, in bike racing. And um, oh, how old were you when you, when you um, started mountain bike racing? Let's see, it was 2004. So I must've been early twenties probably 21 or 22. Oh, nice. Ooh, so, so involved so in the that, age, right? Yeah. Before that, I didn't really, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't interested in, in cycling at all, except, you know, except for when I was a kid hanging out with my dad's, you know, bike, you know, in his shop where he made his frames. Yeah. Sweet. Um, I just, uh, I wanted to ask how, how long have you known, uh, David, Matt? Well, I met, uh, David back, in Red Hawk Crit 2015 in London was the first time I did it. I can't. I can't actually remember when I first met Matt. Felt it feels like I've known him kind of forever. Yeah. But <laughs> but I met you know meeting so many people over the years of the Red Hawk Crit. It just you know formed this community, and you just you you feel like these you, they're like lifelong friends almost, and you see the same people all over the world at various places. Yeah, for sure. I, I, just touching on that, I think that one thing that I really admire about the Red Hook Crit um, is the sense of community and the fact that everybody goes to the race and everybody chats to each other and they chat to the fans and then they race and they have a laugh, they do well, they smash it up and then have a beer afterwards. And I think that's what separates the Red Hook Crit from a lot of other sporting events around the world. Yeah, and and also from the you know from the race organization side, you know, we, I try to keep a have a close relationship with the athletes and and get to know and become friends with everyone. Where you know a lot of other sporting events, you you don't even really know who the organizer is. Yeah, for sure, and I think that that is what because um, my first fixed gear race was the 2018 uh, Red Hook Crit in Brooklyn, and I had no idea what to expect because I'd come from like a pro uh, junior racing scene in Belgium where you don't even speak to anybody and you just go out and you smash it. If you do well, you get a pat on the back. If you do badly, you sit in the van for the yeah. hour journey home. So like going from that to going to Red Hook and everybody's like, oh, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, man, like, how are you, are you well? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like, bro, you don't even know who I am. Like, why are you speaking? <laughs> That's not allowed. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's so refreshing to have that as my first race. 
yeah, I think people kind of have the have the attitude like, oh, well, if you're like cool enough to show up and register and try to race, and you know, you're probably pretty cool, so we're yeah. gonna try to hang out with you. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, that first race, uh, I think somebody rode into my rear wheel about 50 meters in and uh, ripped like five spokes out. So, I mean, I didn't have the best experience, but it was still an amazing, <laughs> amazing time and like a lot yeah. of high. Uh, are you sure it was it 2017 or 2018? It's 2018. So the last, the last red yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad that I managed to do that before we stopped. Yeah. So let's touch a little bit on how you actually started Red Hook Crit and the future of Red Hook Crit, if there is one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean the race started just really. I just started organizing it really for fun. Um, at the time I was racing alley cats in New York and, and also doing some, some of the sanctioned road races. And I kind of liked elements of both, both different kinds of racing. So I liked the, I liked the atmosphere and the rivalry and the creativity of the alley cats. And then I liked the more performance and, and a fitness levels of the, of the road racing. So, so, yeah, the, me too. and then I had a, uh, you know, friends in both, scenes so a lot of friends in the alley cat scene a lot of friends in the road racing scene so my initial idea was just to create a race that kind of combined both of them got you know people from both communities to come together from you know both divergent communities to come together and compete against each other and i you know i, I was racing road bike crits and and you know the alley cat a lot of the alley cats you you had to ride a brakeless track bike i knew how fast that the, you could corner on a brakeless track bike because I'd seen it done in like monster track and these other alley cats, like super skilled riders, like going every bit as fast through the corners on a track bike as a road bike. So I was, so I just thought, why not just do a, do a criterium on a track bike? And that, yeah, why that, not? yeah. Why not? You know, like it was way more fun riding a track bike through the city than a road bike. And, uh, yeah, that's true. A crits, uh, a race that's supposed to be held in a tight technical circuit. And then, then there is a, you know, the issue of how do you, you know, have a crit on open streets because you know, no money or no permits or anything at the time. So then it was like, well, we have to hold it really late at night because there's no, you know, where I lived in Red Hook, there was very little traffic and especially late at night, there was no traffic. That That's why we, or that's why I started holding you know the first red hook was held, i think started at midnight or, or 1 a.m just as late as possible yeah I, f- I find that amazing that like you started it unofficially and now and now it's like one of the biggest cycling events in the world yeah <laughs> yeah and, uh yeah i mean it was part of my birthday party i you know i wanted to to get my bike racing friends to come come to my party and i knew that they wouldn't come unless there was some kind of like chance at personal glory yeah <laughs> And <laughs> beat you on your birthday, come on. Yeah, exactly. You, you understand the psychology of cyclists very well, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was, that's, that's, it, I mean, it was really just for fun. I think I or, organized the first Red Hood Crit. Like, I think I started thinking about it like two weeks before the race, you know, and just yeah. it, there was ambitions for it. I'd never organized anything before. I never wanted to be a race promoter or even thought much about it. But I, but I, yeah, but I did have a lot of experience. You know, my whole life had been spent going to 
you know, go-kart races and indie car races and formula one races. So I knew a lot about racing. I just didn't ever think that would be, I would become a race promoter. Yeah. What, um, what was it like at the, at the first race then? Um, how, how many people turned up? What was the sort of yep. setting like? Can you kind of, kind of describe to us what it was, um, how it, how it played out? Uh, it was super small and grassroots. Like if you just like show up at any like tiny bike messenger event and there's like 15 people there and everyone knows each other. That's kind of how it was. It was like, you know, my close friends and my family members and a few people that I, you know, I had seen at other events, but didn't really know. There was, I think there was only 15 people racing and at least five of them were Trimbles. Um, so yeah, super, super small. <laughs> That's cool, man. Did you ever expect it to get to the point it is now? Or was it just literally like a one-off sort of come to my birthday, uh, smash it up? Yeah, at that point, I didn't, I didn't expect anything of it. Um, but after the race, it was so, it was, it was just like so much fun. Um, you know, I think everyone who raced it loved it, loved the format. And, and it was, it was obvious that like it was going to keep going. Um, you know, it was the, it's the same, basically the same format as as the modern Red Hook, Red Hook crit, where we had a first lap preem and we had a mid race preem. Yeah, and I attacked from the gun. I was racing myself. I attacked from the gun. Did the first half of the race solo off the front. Won both preems, trying as hard as I could to win win my own race. And then in the end, uh, you lost. And <laughs> <laughs> this this girl Casey. Casey Lloyd, who I'm actually staying with now, she she had come up with my sister, and she was a like national collegiate track champion, and was really fast. And she kind of like sucked wheel the whole race, and then destroyed everyone in the in the final sprint. Go back slightly. Um, you see, you touched on monster track. Have you ever ridden that? Yeah, yeah, many, many. I wouldn't say many. I think probably four or five times I've, I've raced monster track. Right. Actually, the first time I ever rode a brakeless track bike was. At the 2007 Monster Track, and I took I took my brakes off that the morning of the race. And yes, the race started, and I was racing mountain bikes at the time, so I was pretty fit and had you know good bike handling skills. So I was actually up up with the leaders for at least you know the, the first the first part of the race. Yeah, so it was it was a, definitely an eye opening experience. Yeah. And back they used to hold the race in February, and everything was like covered in ice, and it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, no brakes. That must have been a bit sketchy. Yeah, I, I loved it though. I was I was yeah. actually in the top, uh, top ten up until the final checkpoint and had no idea where the finish was. So I was I was kind of instantly competitive and just t- loved the scene. The the thing with the uh, the Red Hawk as well, the way I viewed it, because I come from a street racing background, um, I found it like a turbocharged alley cat would be how I'd describe it. Um, but it kind of become like from for me 2015 to sort of 2018 the the amount of the, the levels just were boosting every year, you know, just increasing. I mean that like when that guy won in Milan when he you know nearly lapped the field, what was his name again? I always forget. What was his name? Uh, yeah. The pro- professional yeah yeah, yeah the one and he, yeah, he didn't he didn't nearly lap the field but he was pretty pretty strong but uh, even Cortina yeah that's it yeah he, he just kind of yeah. had yeah he sort of just showed that there was another level beyond you know and and Colin yeah. Strickland did that as well but yeah it was um 
it, it was crazy to compete in. Um, but for me, yeah, like um, I've heard, like I've spoke to people and they've told me about you racing Alley Cats back in the day. And, and yeah, I mean, Monster Track, like you say, uh, to be doing it in the ice as a rider is it doesn't get as gnarly as that. I, I don't yeah. think so. Um, yeah, I have a lot of uh, respect for you for that. That's for sure. Yeah, but there's, there's a perception that the Red Hood Crit got harder and harder every year, but it, it did get harder, but there was actually a lot more competitive athletes. So, like, in the yeah. early days, there was maybe three or four athletes who had a chance to win. Yeah. And if you weren't one of those, you know, three or four athletes, you were getting just totally smashed. So, for a lot of people, early years were actually harder than the later years. Okay. The later years, you could, you know, be 40th place and still in a peloton and drafting and, yeah. and in the race where – in the early days, like the guys like Dan, Dan Chabanoff and Neil Bezdek, and they would just cr- like crush crush you if you weren't super fit. Yeah, but the, unless you were there racing in the early years, it's hard to have perspective on how much harder it got. I mean, the yeah. the, the ultimate level got higher, but it's, it, the relative level was probably actually easier at the end of the end of the crit. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, you race against world tour pros, but you could still like you know have sure. decent. Decent ability and still finish the final. Where, you know, if you're racing in 2009, you're probably getting lapped by by Neil Bezdek. Yeah. Could you um could you explain to us what what the feeling was like from kind of you know having it as setting up as such a grassroots event and having um, a bunch of people turn up to World Tour riders racing and winning, um, sponsored athletes coming from around the world to, to yeah. your races. Um, how, how did you, how, how did you, what was your situation then? Did you quit your day job or what, what happened? Yeah, so for the first three years, I was doing it just just for fun, had my day job, had no, no sponsors, no, you know, there was no, no financial element to it, you know, just doing the race as cheaply as possible. And, and then, uh, it got when it got to the point where we just couldn't do it on city streets anymore underground and had to, had to pay for a venue and, and, and pay for insurance and security and everything. Then, then it started getting more serious. And then I actually quit my day job and kind of put everything, everything I had into it. And I, I'm a, I would say I'm a little, little obsessive compulsive. And every year it was just, I was, I didn't have like a long range vision for it. I was always just trying to make than the year before. So I would like see everything that went wrong with one year and then I would try to improve it the year after. And that yeah. it would just that just exponentially made the race better and better and better. Better and become more professional. And I was, you know, learning as I went. You know, I had no idea how to, you know, get permits or buy insurance. And then, you know, you don't have insurance and it's a week before the race and all of a sudden you become an expert on buying insurance. So it was just yeah. like this super hard learning process throughout the year. No, it's, it's that's amazing that you just taught yourself pretty much everything. Though. Like, uh, like I really respect the fact that you just started with nothing really, and then finished with the like, yeah, an iconic event. Yeah, I know. Yeah, lots of lots of hard lessons and stressful moments. I mean, the rhetoric rhetoric paused right now, but man, it almost you know it almost paused many times in its lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very you know an event like that is always going to be fragile yeah Um, when when you say pause do you um 
I think everyone listening would like to kind of know what's going on with Red Hook. Do you mind touching that a bit? Is it just pause temporarily or are you uh, yeah, I mean, seeing where you can improve? I mean, it's unclear to me as well. I mean, especially now with the way what's going on in the world and, and, the, and with sporting events. I mean, the the intention and the, the hope is to bring it back. But at the same time, because it's gotten to be so big, it requires a, you know, significant sponsorship yeah. and, and, you know, you can't just, can't just wing it anymore. Like there has to be serious money behind it. And we, we, you know, we had that with our sponsor rockstar games and whenever they pulled back their involvement, you know, we didn't have the money anymore and I wasn't, you know, wasn't going to put on a subpar event. No, so sure. I think, uh, you know, the, the goal is definitely to bring it back, but it's going to require a lot of, a lot of things to fit, fall into play. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's, especially now where, where we, it's unclear on what's going to happen with events in the short term. It's hard to say exactly what, what the plan is. Yeah. And I mean, if, if I must say, like, I think it's, um, it's done the fixing community good actually, because everyone's been questioning whether it's coming back. Everyone's kind of, yeah <laughs> about the whole cancellation of it all i think it's only going to make the, the race bigger in the future um what do you think yeah i think it'll be i think it's one of these events that it's timeless and yeah it's gonna it, yeah, when it come, yeah. it's, it's like, come it's, like a, it's like a supreme drop <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but the same like same time i was all, i also i always knew that there was going to be periods like this where we couldn't do the race just because every race was just so hard to pull off and in critically important was I never ran the race into the ground. Like I never lost money on an event. I never got to the point where I was like borrowing money just to make an event happen and then not able to pay it back or yeah. like totally like self-destructing just to keep it alive. So, you know, the second I couldn't kind of comfortably pull one off and I, you know, I just said, well, I have to take a break because I don't, I'm not going to like destroy the thing just to keep it alive. Yeah, definitely. That, a lot of race organizers, it's like a Ponzi scheme where they, you know, they have the money, you know, they, they don't pay their bills and then they get their money for their next event and then they pay their previous year bills. And then yeah. eventually it's like somebody goes left, you know, left unpaid. Just to ask, like, forget what about what the people want, right? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? Like in the future, <laughs> do you want to do more cycling events or do you want to do more running events like the midnight half or yeah, what do you want to do? I mean, I'd like to do a combination of both. Um, you know, my, my passion is is for the Red Hook Crit and those kind of events where they're very spectacular and, and super spectator friendly and they can, you know, bring in a lot of people outside of cycling and they can combine art and design and, and parties and just like yeah. a big social event. And it's harder to do that with like more, like more super niche events like the Midnight Half or, or, or sorry, sorry, more underground events. You know, I like, the big public spectacle of the red hood crit. Yeah. And, and I just, I think it's just insanely exciting to watch. So I would prefer to, to be working on events like that. Okay. But at the same time, I, you know, when I took, as I've taken the break from the red hood crit, I've gotten involved in more, you know, working on other professional events and the, in this, the business of putting on sporting events is also pretty, pretty grim. And like, you know, it's hard yeah. to, it's hard to, turn the Red Hook Crit into a really serious business because I've seen the way other sporting businesses are run and they're, you know, pretty soulless. So it's, it's going to be a balance between bringing it back and keeping the how special it is and 
not and then but having enough money with without it being a totally super serious business we we had a yeah we had will on last week who uh won it last year the last one the midnight hat midnight he's um yeah he's doing pretty well he's he just did a um i think it's his fifth iron man uh <laughs> the vr race on ruby i think it is and he and he came an unofficial second because he's not allowed to come Maybe. anywhere because he's not a pro. Yeah, he's a he's definitely a serious one of a kind athlete. Yeah, just the fact that he could go from the six day one weekend to winning the men at half the next weekend. And it wasn't even the weekend. It was like three days later, wasn't it? It's like ridiculous. exactly. Yeah, it was <laughs> pretty amazing. And, yeah, and yeah, you- we need we need him in the red hook crit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he'll, he'll be yeah, he'll be riding with us, mate. We've, yeah. I've, we've got him. <laughs> we've got him on a million pound contract now, so yeah, signed him up. <laughs> and David, you've also done um, been involved with the six day, the junior six day, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I was working for the six day series for the last kind of last season, and part of it, part of uh, I was helping with basically helping consult on their social media and how to promote the event. And one of the aspects I saw that needed to be improved was, was uh, like the U23 and the junior race. And they, they had these amazing competitions, but they weren't actually like covering them or broadcasting them out, out to the world. And I, I was trying, trying my best to, to change that. Yeah. The, the first couple of years I raced that it was actually raced in before the doors opened, yeah, and we were all just like, "What the what?" Like we're racing, and nobody's watching. Like what? Like did, did this race even happen? Like, yeah, it was kind of. It didn't, didn't. You know, they did it because I think they maybe maybe they, you know, they got some deals in order to throw in the extra competition. But you know, they should have. I think they should have done even more. I think they should have run some of the races like in the middle of the show during the prime time. Yeah, because it was racing and there was like, you know, the future talent of the world was, was in these events. Yeah. I think also the under 21 or under 23, whatever it is, is actually more interesting than the pros because yeah. they're actually racing to get a pro contract and the pros already have a contract. So they know that they've got their contract pretty much secure. So they're not yeah. going to everything, but you see some of the, these, it's uh, it's very raw. Your that sort of um, the under twenty one is very raw, whereas the this you know the pros it's very slick, isn't it? It's like a show. Yeah, yeah I agree, hundred um, percent. And they, I think they they were missing an opportunity to really promote that that kind of track cycling because it, yeah, it was a super serious event, and if you won that, you know, it made a difference. Definitely. Um, David, you, you mentioned you. Um, well, mountain biking quite a bit back in the day. Do you ever see yourself um, sort of supporting mountain bike events? Like I know the downhill World Cups. Um, there's no, there's no junior coverage for that. Is that something you might be kind of looking to? I'd to like to. Into, I, I watch all the I watch all the cross country World Cups. They have a really amazing production value and amazing live stream on Red Bull TV and like definitely. Yeah, I think the super healthy sport. And I'd like I'd like to get involved in it. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like you know, what what worked for the Red Hood Crit would also work in mountain biking. It's pretty well established. But I'd like to 
to learn more about that world at the at the high level. Um, same time, there were there were kids racing right at Crit who came from that world where they were racing juniors and U twenty three mountain biker mountain bikes at a high level, and they were like, "Oh, we're we're so excited to get away from it because for them it was too serious. It was all just too much about performance and not enough about having fun." So yeah, just to touch that, that's basically me. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think at that level, like, yeah, you can't really go out and party the night before the race because you know you're you're racing against the best in the world, and you know it's just super serious. Yeah, you you can't party full stop, really. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think for a lot, of, I think for a lot of young athletes, it's just not that that lifestyle is not that appealing to just kill yourself to try to be ultra elite athlete, especially if you don't have the genetics or the money or the, you know, support to be at the very high level and you're just somewhere mid pack and it's still hard. Or, or if you get injured, like I I was injured and there's nothing, there was no, there's no support really because you're just in it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. People just forget about you the second you get injured and, and that's why people are injured and they would still come to the race and hang out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I think that's why uh, I thought that the Red Hook was so amazing because, yeah, like I said before, it, it's it's a sense of community, even if you don't know anybody. Like you can literally just speak yeah. to anyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I can kind of talk for a lot of people here. I mean, I started um, just kind of you know commuting and and whatnot, and then got into cyclocross and did that for a bunch of years, and then kind of dabbled with a bit of road racing and just didn't really enjoy the environment and didn't feel like it was something I really wanted to do. Um, although I enjoyed the racing very much, but um, when I first started to kind of get a bit more into fixed gear racing and watching some of the Red Hook Crit stuff on YouTube and the whole atmosphere and the event itself really just gave me a whole new sort of scope on, on cycling. Um, and I think taking one of the sort of benchmark events away is definitely put a lot of people into a position where they're like okay well um shall i start racing road shall i i you know there's a bit of a gray really with fixed gear racing i guess um and i guess i kind of wanted to ask the question do what are your thoughts on some of the big events that are working along well not working alongside but are sort of positioned alongside of a hook like rad race for instance um, is that something you can you'd be looking at getting to looking looking support looking to support in the in the future or um, well I think it's I think it's great that some of those other events are <clears throat> are continuing like after you know Red Hook stopped and uh, you know a lot of the crits like Mission Crit and the the Dijon Crit and some of the Rad Race yeah. stuff it's great that they continue yeah you know I definitely felt bad whenever you know the, like yeah the the main event kind of stopped and these these events were left to kind of carry the flame and, you know, you can see the energy dropped a little bit, but at the same time, their events kind of continued on and, and were, were super strong and, and seemed to keep growing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, every event's a little different in, in the way they approach it and the way they approach the race rules and how serious they take the competition. And, uh, you know, one thing with the Red Hook Creators, I really, paid a lot of attention to the race rules and, and the way the format work. And some of the races don't do that. They just kind of like plop everyone out and say, go whatever <laughs> happens, happens. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that approach, even if it kind of looks the same from the outside. So yeah, it, it really depends on, on, on the race. And some of the races are, 
did a better job than others. So when the Reddit crit comes back, we're you know we're able to do even more with with some of the, some of the crits. When you said when the Red Hook crit comes back, is there anything different you do? Like obviously, if you had <laughs> unlimited money and resources, what would you do differently? <laughs> oh man, uh, I mean, the, I think you know uh, one thing I'd really like to do would be to make it a multi-day event. You know, so yeah. it's not one and done overnight because it's you know so much work to set everything up and then. You know, it's just over in one day. And I think we'd actually be able to make it a lot safer if we like spread out the qualifying over two days and then had a fine then built built up to the final. Yeah. That's probably the biggest change I would do is just to try to you know, because the the race day is just so crazy with like trying to qualify four hundred athletes and then narrow it down to the final and do a do a five K running race and um yeah, it's it's exhausting. I think the whole thing would just be smoother if we could do a do a multi day event. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like the fact that you had have a running race like during the middle of the day of the, the cycling. So I think that's amazing. Yeah, and that's I mean it really helps. Yeah, that's another thing. I would like to do the five k all the Red Hook trips, not just the one in Brooklyn. And it yeah, it made yeah. the whole thing more more interesting. And for for spectators who don't know anything about bike racing, they, you know, there's only so much bike racing they can watch. They start getting bored of it. So it's good to to kind of break that up with a different sport. Yeah. And like the level at Brooklyn was, was like super high as well. Oh yeah. The, I mean, the, the guy who got second, the last Red Hook crit 5k got, I think fourth in the New York city marathon. So it's, it's, yeah, we we need to get, very high level. Don't worry, Will. Will's flying into the next Will, one. Will would, not, Will would not. As fast as he is, he would not be competitive in that race. Oh, don't worry. We're getting some super fast shoes with springs in them. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be running a like sub fourteen five k to be competitive in that race. Yeah, that is rapid. I got one more thing that I just wanted to touch on there. Um, I, what's the most uh, stressful? aspect about setting up the race and like running it oh man i guess it depends on what phase you're in you know if you're in the playing phase or the race is happening or you're off season i mean definitely the hardest part is getting them getting the money yeah and and not just like getting the same amount of money you had the year before but anticipating how much it's going to grow because as it grows, it actually became more and more expensive to organize. And yeah. sometimes you actually don't know how much more expensive it's going to be. So you're always like pushing to try to get more money. And then, you know, you get, you get 20% more money and then your, then your costs go up by 30%. So it's, yeah, it was very, very stressful to try to hang a float. Yeah. And, and despite the rumors, I never became rich off of it. That's for sure. What do you mean? You're not driving a Ferrari. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Man's got a Tesla on the on the garden. Oh yeah. yeah. No, fair enough. Like uh, I really respect that. Yeah. So I was gonna um, move on to the future of fixed gear racing. Um, what what's everyone's thoughts on that? How does everyone feel like it's gonna <clears throat> evolve? Is it dead, George? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think um, I think it's very difficult right now to to predict anything because I think you've got to kind of let things go, <laughs> really. Um, 
I don't know, things are going to change and be different. I think, I guess like what you can say is you, you can hope that it, it kind of brings, I think like David, you were saying earlier about how uh, you like having the running events at the Red Hook and I, th- uh, I think it's really cool how you gave the boys like Jake 100 and Lou and the, um, the other boys to do the wheelies at the Red Hook that time in London. And I think um, sort of events going forwards, it will be good to, to begin to combine different uh, types of cycling, you know, um, and start celebrating, like you're saying, doing two-day things and sort of celebrating different disciplines and skills but doing it all together. I think that would be a really nice way for the sport to grow. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, creating a festival atmosphere where there's a lot happening for several days is... is really positive way forward yeah because um that's something that uh with our team we we've always looked to do and i know um sam with clash is the same and and i think yeah if, if we can all kind of approach it in the same sort of spirit i think and sort of lift one another especially after what's going on at the moment i think you know it's better for all sports um mm, and was, yeah. you know for the sport of cycling anyway and we we're actually we were seriously considering add, adding an inline skating race to the to the event in Milan. We did a demonstration one year and they were doing lap their 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 lap times were in between the women and the men. Like they were yeah, that's really, amazing. Matt, yeah, that, you're yeah. you're doing that next year. I, I can I can <laughs> roll a blade. I I can roll a blade. I reckon I could give Chris Torman a run for his money. Oh, I've, no. never, I've, I've, I've never told him that, but I'll call him out now. No I'm Chris, I'm only joking. <laughs> I couldn't beat him. From, from my angle, like the, the future of fixed racing is only positive. Like there's been so many teams I've seen pop up and people collaborating on things and um, new cool projects coming out and stuff. And I think it's only growing and growing. And um, of course it's really in, like amazing to be involved in all of this. And hopefully the racing in sort of boosts that. And it's hard to say what's going to happen, but I can only see it being a really positive thing for cycling in general um and yeah i don't know i guess i'd like to like to thank you david for what you've done so far for, for <laughs> fixed racing because it's definitely uh inspired us here in our corner of the world to to get out and train with with meaning and stuff and um yeah it'd be cool to and to shred yeah you've inspired us to shred david excellent but, but, I to, yeah. but it's like you know the thing that that's really important um, is the the element of the illegal back, background to all of this because that's the spirit I think that really yeah. comes through. Um, because yeah, if you've ever been to an alley cat, which I know George, I don't think you have, but Sam, I know you have. It's all it's like a sort of little mini not, festival, isn't I'm not, it? Not that much of a bad man. So. Yeah, you're not that much yeah. of a bad man. But yeah, you know, and that's kind of the spirit. That's sort of the spirit of Red Hawk fixed grips, yeah. which is fun and and it, and it's in, you know, it's attractive to younger people coming through that aren't, don't want that sort of stiff regulation of your traditional yeah. formats, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's warm, it's welcoming, it's creative, yeah. it's colourful, it's, it's healthy. So much positivity. It's healthy, for yeah. sure, yeah. Exactly. It's, and it's, well, it's apart, fun. Apart from um, the odd fucked messenger passed out on the corner or something with a crave beer, but... <laughs> Well, that's yeah, that's mess crashing. life, isn't it? James crashing, as well. <laughs> and James crashing, yeah, but that's mess mess life they call it. 
<laughs> so, so George, you had, did you have some Q and A's? Yeah. Well, so, thank you so far, David. It's been brilliant. Uh, we got like a little question and answer thing to go through. Like, answer it as deeply as you want to, but don't worry if you don't want it too much. Uh, cool. so the first one: um, How do you and your family cope uh, traveling the world for constantly for these events? Good, very good question. Well, up until recently, it was just kind of myself traveling alone, but now I actually have a, you know, a baby, a daughter who's nine months old, and a girlfriend, and a dog, and two one-eyed cats. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the family basically comes with me everywhere, which is which is actually cool. Um, but I think more than anything, I, I have to move the least way the way the crit was going. I I need to move to Europe, and that was we were in the middle of of figuring that out whenever the this current crisis hit so i think uh having a set having a base in europe is is the key to dealing with the constant travel because it is it is very hard yeah sure i bet okay cool um is there a point where races become too big for their own good um yeah i think it's i think it's up to the one up to the organizer to be able to to manage the growth and and manage the scale um in, from my, in my opinion, Red Hook Crit became more like its original intent as it got bigger. You know, I wanted it to be, you know, ultimately I wanted it to become the Formula One of bike racing and I wanted it to be this big spectacle and Grand Prix and have like tons of spectators. So as it got bigger, it actually got better. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas if it's, if it's an organizer who who has like a really super dangerous crit course and doesn't know what he's doing and and you know, it works with 20 athletes and now all of a sudden he has a hundred athletes. Yeah. Then maybe it's too big for, for its own good. So I think it's, it's really up to the, up to the um, organizer to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I quite like that you say about the formula one stuff, because I felt like, um, having the hot seat in Milan when I was there in 2018 and having, um, Alec Briggs and, um, Justin Williams and the other guys sat down there. I felt like it was quite a, Oh uh, yeah, in the press conference. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything everything was designed to like just just make it a make it exciting for for the people tuned in. And it was, it was definitely because um we we totally enjoyed that. It was cool. Yeah, it's a it's a real um interactive experience like you you've combined uh the element of sport and then you've got the art in like photography. And then there's journalism, all these different mediums coming together in a where a bit like that's how I found the midnight half is where like if you competed in that you sort of became the star of the the, the show. Do you, do you do you know what I mean, David? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the by, by design for for the events I work on. Yeah, so that you you set out to do that. Yeah, the midnight half, yeah midnight half is you know is the alley cat kind of themed running yeah. running race and yeah it was uh <clears throat> you know every bit is as atmospheric as the redhead crit the only the only challenge with that is just making it making it spectator friendly yeah it, you know middle of the night and spread out all over the city yeah. make sure the bad mans don't uh <laughs> rub your sweets as well <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that was um that was a really sorry i'm just diverging off the questions but that that was a really magical event to experience um, and like I wasn't even competing, but I felt the the buzz, and I think yeah, to be able to create that is is brilliant. Um, anyway, carry on, George. Uh, I'd like on touching on that as well. I 
so I, I was the mar- I was a marshal and like I felt like special being a marshal in that race like that was cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I didn't yeah, I didn't yeah. get it so yeah yeah you're you actually did a great job you have great uh, radio etiquette which is important <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. Formula One there that's next level right yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, next question. What's your uh, favorite pre-race snack? <laughs> oh, man. Probably oatmeal, I guess. Yeah, if I'm racing, <laughs> it's got to be oatmeal. Okay. How uh, boring is that? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty boring. <laughs> what, what, do you, uh, what do you think about eating a kebab before the race? Uh, I'm a vegetarian, so probably a bad idea. Well, basically, my first um, uh, coach oh, told me to have a kebab. You got to stop. You got to stop telling our guests about this story. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to know what their thoughts are because I think it's a it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, the one the one big alley cat I won in my racing career. I stayed up all night drinking and slept for like half an hour beforehand. So. That's per. That's perfect. Uh, messenger preparation. Thanksgiving, two thousand seven. Yeah, that, that's that's good. That's good going. All right, that's it. That's all the questions I have. I've, I've actually got. I've got a few on here. No, 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 no. All right, go on. All right. Um, I've actually. I feel like our account has been targeted by a bunch of random accounts we've had loads just like um yeah just to ignore a, them i've had the same as well i know it's it's quite funny though there are a lot of cool ones it's, that might be funny but um so <laughs> there's one um uh will red oak ever come back to london especially oh that's a good question london's a tough city tough expensive city and you're it's been like they're de- developing every inch of it. So when you have a racetrack one year, the next year there's like yeah. shitty condo build- building on it the year after. So London's tough, but it would be really cool to go back there. I mean, I feel like it's one of the homes of the crit now. So we'd love to go back to it. Canary Wharf. And Canary Wharf, I think is the wrong place for it. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy. It's not simple to find somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've literally been to every inch of London looking for venues, and um, the kind of best best opportunity we have now is somewhere up by, like, Wembley Park is, is possible, or or around, maybe around uh, the Excel Center or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or Silvertown. Um, oh, yeah, I went to actually went to a tour series race in Canary Wharf, and it was, like, just yeah. drunk. You know, it's so it's so rubbish. It's naff. It was like, yeah, it was it was a terrible atmosphere. Yeah, it's shit. The, um, Silvertown's. I don't know if you've been there. Uh, Silvertown. It's kind of out near City Airport. But that, uh, yeah, I, I think that might be a good good shout. But I'm just gonna say, what about Silverstone Formula One circuit? <laughs> <laughs> just because it has nah. silver in it. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I'm that would be pretty rad to do a Formula One track. No, not so. Yeah. Nah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to ask one more um, before we drag things on too long. Um, your famous family uh, family recipe. Go. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably back to the oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't yeah. cook much. We don't cook too much. Maybe a little more now that everything's shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Oat, oatmeal uh, is an art. A good oatmeal is yeah, definitely an art. Yeah. I've been um, I've been doing these overnight oats recently. They're well good, man. Well tasty. I've just been eating cocoa pops. <laughs> anyway, anyway, well, thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we've learned a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks. The next race is tomorrow morning, so we're uh, round two of the. We'll, we'll be cheering you. Yeah, we'll good, good luck with that, and um, maybe we'll we'll start a um, David Trimble fan club. Yeah, you got. I really need all the support I can get. So. <laughs> there we go. All right, mate. Well, have have fun and thanks. Thanks Thank you. Again.